0: There was a man who had just been admitted into heaven by St. Peter, and he wanted to see his friend that had passed away several days earlier. He asked St. Peter, could you please tell me where I can find my friend that came here a few days ago? He was an engineer, very nice, and a good man. St. Peter looked in his book and told the man he had sent the engineer to hell. That must be a mistake, said the man. My engineer friend did so many good things on earth and designed things that helped many people while he was on earth. St. Peter checked his records, and sure enough, there had been a mistake. So he picked up the phone and he dialed hell. A moment later, Lucifer answered, this is the supreme ruler of evil. How may I help you? (laughs) St. Peter said, look, Lucifer, the other day I sent you an engineer by mistake. I want you to send him back up here. Lucifer laughed and he told St. Peter, there's no way I'm sending him back. In just the short time he's been here, he's installed cold water lines <laughs> and a new air conditioning system. St. <laughs> Peter demanded, Lucifer, if you don't send him back up here, I'll take you before the galactic court and I'll sue you. <laughs> Lucifer's laughter got even louder. And St. Peter asked him why he was laughing. Lucifer finally calmed down and said, how do you expect to win in court? All the lawyers are down here with me. (laughs) Today I want to talk about a concept that we have come to call Luciferian Exodus, or as it has also been called, the Luciferian Meme. The same idea was explored in an EOB working in Providence called Luciferian Exodus, and to poetically echo Magister Fitzsimmons' notion of the divine pattern of set, one might also say that Luciferian Exodus reflects the divine pattern of Lucifer. Imagine, if you will, that within the mythology of Lucifer, his fall from heaven, subsequent journey with his demonic tribe to the realm called pandemonium, we might find a pattern not only within the human psyche, but also within the realm of human interaction and conscious individual choice, a pattern that reiterates, in fact, on a variety of levels, opening doors to new understanding about the world within and to new possibilities in the world without. Some preliminary information on how these sorts of ideas seated in my own being and has made me, for some strange reason, qualified to pontificate on such things. I didn't have a particularly religious upbringing. My father was an existentialist who had fallen away from the church. And when I say existentialist, I mean the whole Jack Kerouac beat generation package, beret, pipe, philosophizing, and so forth. So I didn't get a lot of religious dogma at home in my upbringing, but rather occasional cool stories from the Bible, like Samson, Noah, Lot, Cain, and Abel. I heard mythology from the Old Testament as frequently as I heard mythology from Greek myths, like Hercules or Icarus. But I was never subjected, fortunately, to any of the more fire and brimstone and salvation sorts of ideas that you find. Throughout the New Testament. So then. One summer evening. I'm running around with the neighborhood kids. I hear them tell this story. About how Lucifer. Who's also Satan. Was at one time. One of God's angels. His favorite angel in fact. Who rebelled and left heaven. Or was possibly cast out for his pride. I hadn't heard this story before. And something about it struck me. As forbidden or secret. And something about it has stayed with me over the years, resonating every time I'd hear the story reiterated in sources like John Milton's Paradise Lost, Mark Twain's Letters from the Earth, and even more esoteric sources like the Diabolicon. In reality, it seems the more I've reflected on this pattern, the more I've seen it not only in literature and mythology, but also as a pattern that reiterates as a part of our life process. We grow, we separate from our families, we evolve socially, we mature and separate from social groups. We develop our knowledge and skills and separate from work environments in pursuit of greater opportunities and avenues of success. And perhaps even within the context of our spiritual evolution, as we emerge consciously and liberate ourselves from the inertia of the objective universe, which often manifests in the form of peers who seem sometimes to harbor a hidden wish that we not outperform them. What seems to separate this Luciferian perspective from ordinary life processes that lead to separation is the decision-making process that it entails. First, it's never an easy decision. It produces an internal struggle and often an intensive re-examination of one's own moral landscape. Secondly, the struggle and inquiry centers around the question of the individual versus the collective or the organization. Some guiding questions emerge from this. Why do we sometimes feel the need to separate from groups? Indeed, sometimes it seems part of a natural progression. We see human adolescents separating from parents, seeking independence and autonomy. We see wolves separating from packs, and we honor this with the term lone wolf. Can separation then be a positive thing? Certainly we have values associated with growth and maturation. We also value learning from direct experience rather than simply being prescribed proper behavior, and, of course, we value independence. Why does this separation seem to require struggle, and are there forces actually opposed to the pursuit of independence? We may here recall the idea of objective universe laws and cosmic inertia spoken of in the book of Coming Forth By Night, where Set states, were I myself to displace the cosmic inertia I should be forced to become a new measure of consistency. I would cease to be one, for I should become all. We may recall the ancient Egyptian myth of Set struggling to separate himself from the womb in an act of violence. In fourth-way literature, they talk about the prison allegory. The idea here is that man's state is such that he is in prison. If he's a reasonable man, he can have no greater wish than to escape. However, he cannot escape on his own because he needs help, resources, tools. He needs to make plans and so forth. So he needs to find the others who also wish to escape. But all cannot escape. It would be too obvious and too great a force of inertia would rise against it. But a few can escape. A very relevant correspondence to the Luciferian pattern arises here. But while the myth may initially center around Lucifer, it is in fact a small band of fellows who actually make the escape, journeying across the darkness and founding together a new creative space called Pandemonium, a place for all demons, a place for all independently conscious beings, Whenever an esoteric circle, or a circle of those few who wish to escape, is formed, the Luciferian pattern is reiterated. We begin to see the pattern has an individual aspect and a small group aspect. There's no collective or mass manifestation, but rather simple relationships of cooperation and collaboration, remember that if all escape there would be nothing to escape from. The danger of ceasing to be one is in becoming all. But in working with the few, we find a resource that also acts as a buffer. We see that first the wish for independence arises within us at an individual level, as does the wish for consciousness. Later it is activated in the social realm as we learn how to recognize allies and identify with others who we can connect with or collaborate with in relationships of reciprocal maintenance. Through experience, we further learn that our goals may shift and we may outgrow one group. Thus, the Luciferian pattern may reiterate and remanifest at increasing levels of expansion and complexity throughout our life and our initiatory process. We start to see that finding focus and aim for our will can arise simultaneously with the need to go beyond the boundaries of our current group affiliations, and that courage can be as valuable an asset as independence. There's a ton of literature out there, in self-help and management and leadership genres, about the most effective way to join a group or fit in with a group, or to lead a group, but almost nothing on the most effective or the most intelligent way to leave a group or to identify and assess the need to leave a group. Perhaps in studying the mythological pattern of Lucifer's Exodus, we can better understand our relationships with groups, possibly maximizing benefit for all parties and making better decisions about when and how to initiate exodus. A decision in favor of independence is central to the concept. In the Diabolicon, the weight of such a decision is discussed by Lucifer and Beelzebub where Lucifer states, thou who knew not independence of will shall now be the first to realize these qualities. And thy response forebodes much, for had thou rejected the concept of challenge I should have held my own thought for impossible delusion. For some, independence is almost instinctual and can inspire the same in others, not in everyone but certain others with a certain proclivity, a certain resonance, or a certain vibratory frequency. As Beelzebub continues, of these words I knew little, but there dawned within me a quality which I had not known before, an impulse to become one apart from an independent of God and I drifted long in unrest, afflicted by confusion and doubt. The inclination toward independence can be at first frightening, the sense that you are moving off the map into unknown or even forbidden territory, but in resonating with the divine pattern of Lucifer, one might find the courage to move forward into the darkness. Returning for a moment to those childhood stories I heard about the fallen angel, I later learned that references to the Luciferian exodus in the Bible are indeed quite few. The word Lucifer appears only once in the Hebrew Bible, Isaiah 14.12. In modern English translations, Lucifer becomes Morning Star, referencing the planet Venus. As the initial conflict is described, How you have fallen from heaven, morning star, son of the dawn. You have been cast down to the earth, you who once laid low the nations. You said in your heart, I will ascend to the heavens. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mount of assembly, on the utmost heights of Mount Zaphon. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. It is believed that this statement references rather a Babylonian king rather than a demonic entity. Here the myth is used as a warning to discourage deviation from the tribe, to mock and deride independence and achievements. We continue to find these sorts of discouragements and disincentives to prevent people from leaving or ascending from groups at a variety of levels, even in modern secular environments. But later the first and second books of Enoch give Lucifer an expanded role interpreting Isaiah 14 with its reference to the morning star as applicable to him and presenting him as the fallen angel cast out of heaven for refusing according to Jewish writings to bow to Adam of whom Satan was envious and jealous. Note also, it is in the apocryphal book of Enoch, where the black flame is witnessed to come down from the sky and bathe the earth. In the neoclassical period of literature, John Milton gave us the epic Paradise Lost, which according to Dr. Leonard Peikoff in his book The Dim Hypothesis, was from its first release a sensation. Here we see a very different light cast on the pattern. Of course, the most astonishing character in the entire poem is Satan. This defiant demon who rebels against God in the name of freedom from tyranny, of hard liberty before the easy yoke of servile pomp, is presented by Milton at once as the incarnation of evil, and at the same time as admirable and even heroic. In concretizing Satan's evil, Milton mentions, but does not stress, the demon's pride, malice, and guile. But in concretizing Satan's virtue, Milton does not pass over it quickly. He stresses Satan's strength, his intellect, his inventiveness, his courage, and even his sense of morality, shown by his regret over the necessity inherent in his war against God to seduce Adam and Eve. This character surely is the protagonist of the story, the initiator of the action at each turn, whereas God is passive. In effect, he puts out fires and voices disapproval from the sidelines. Satan Satan is not sinfulness, but a worldly conflicted individual and individualist who, having left a stagnant tribe, attempts to breathe life into a new tribe. So we've seen this pattern occurring personally, metaphorically, perhaps even cosmically. What of practical value. Experience in ordinary life, the work world, the social realm, and so forth may often remind us of the old adage, water seeks its own level. Most people find a comfortable level of balance and then remain there. Even if they complain about it regularly, they will tend to stay there finding reasons or excuses to explain their failure to advance and offering only critique or derision of those who do advance. Even those who pursue advancement or enrichment in their personal or spiritual lives will sometimes compartmentalize this other part of their existence, the workaday world, remaining simultaneously satisfied and resentful. This is why it may at times seem that members of our own tribe harbor a secret wish that we not succeed, that we not outperform them, outdo them, or grow beyond them. They may attempt to reinforce this with language and values. The reality is that man is a social animal, and we must interact with groups in order to live and thrive. But there's no reason we should allow ourselves to be strapped down or inhibited by a group. When faced with such situations, we have two options. We can try to change the people around us, helping them see the larger world around them, or we can take up the torch of Lucifer and leave. David Logan, the author of the book Tribal Leadership, describes this watershed moment in the journey toward success most succinctly. You literally cannot make this journey alone. Your tribe will either help you or prevent your forward movement. In fact, you can move forward only by bringing others with you. Tribes are more influential than individuals, no matter how smart or talented they are. As you move forward, either you will become a tribal leader, upgrading your tribe with you, or you will stall The only exception to that rule is that there are people who have changed themselves by switching to a new tribe. How do identify a dumb tribe, a tribe that's not going anywhere? There are certain signs that a group is succumbing to inertia and is unlikely to go anywhere itself or help you get anywhere. In a toxic tribe, conspiracy theories abound. Conspiracies offering explanations about why no one here ever goes anywhere, why nothing ever changes, why no one should bother even trying to go somewhere. People's discussions will tend to focus on how they're being screwed by the system or by their leadership. A group can be united in this belief and united in their resistance to change. Complaints dominate conversations. Often, even if one of their favorite problems to complain about is somehow fixed, they quickly switch to another problem or else focus on how the solution was somehow insincere or illegitimate. Ospinski identified this particular negative energy circle and the tendency to express negative emotions. Such groups will seem to thrive on negative expressions and they won't really fully trust any newcomers until they hear some negativity from them as well. You feel obligated to express negativity when interacting with members of groups like this. For the Americans in the audience, I'd point to the great example of the DMV, the Department of Motor Vehicles. (laughs) I don't know what it's like in Europe. As an example of a group that has adopted this sort of static negativity in its dominant culture and is well beyond the possibility of evolution. You will be absorbed by such a group and descend to their mean level or you will leave. Challenging such conspiracy theories and negative expressions directly is never effective. Denial of the conspiracy merely becomes proof of the vastness of the cover-up. Also, you can't really deny or negate another person's negativity. Negative one plus negative one equals negative two. It's a losing battle for everyone. Such groups are toxic, they will poison you and they will keep you paralyzed at their level or possibly even drag you in the opposite direction. The best approach is work that focuses on upgrading the culture with higher influences in language. Some groups can be changed if it can be established that the group shares certain common core values, then this can become an incredible source of energy and an agent of growth. I'm sure most of us have experienced gossip in groups and know how deleterious this can be to groups and individuals. It feeds a cycle of negativity that drains all of the group's vitality. One of the secrets of the black magician is the power of positive gossip. Saying positive things about people who... Happen to not be in the room at the time. Such acts not only cleanse and charge the flow of energy within groups, but also return to you individually, enhancing your status within the tribe. With positive gossip, you create win-win situations, upgrading your tribe and your own standing simultaneously. The art of bringing positive and transformative change at a tribal level is an art and science unto itself. But our first concern must always be for our own well-being, our own rational self-interest. This also means we must survive long enough to connect with groups that won't lead us dry. Thus, it behooves us that we learn to identify as soon as possible such toxic tribes. In addition to certain language cues, another way of identifying such a tribe is actually quite similar to Anton LaVey's methodology for identifying a psychic vampire. We simply extend this methodology to a group context. This involves taking stock of the quality of energy within yourself. Do you feel energized from interaction with a group or drained? A toxic tribe will drain you, keeping you at their level. They'll find reasons to keep you in their presence, and they'll find ways to discourage you from leaving their grasp. Having identified such a tribe, you should immediately begin planning your exodus. You should do so without hesitation, without regret, and without mercy. Remember that in doing so, you act in your own self-interest and for a setting, and there is no higher moral expression. Often the threat of total isolation is one of the disincentives that an oppressive tribe will use to try and discourage us from independent thought or action. In some right-hand path religious groups, this is called shunning. If you leave, you can never come back, and you will be outcast forever. These echo of the same jeers that must have been thrust on Lucifer by the heavenly horde. But we see in studying the pattern, in theory and in practice, that total isolation is, in fact, never the case there are always like-minded collaborators not far to be found, waiting only for the emergence of a hero in order to themselves flame to life with awareness of their own limitless potential. For after settling in pandemonium, it is the reordering of the very system itself which becomes the next item of interest for the daemons. As Beelzebub continues his tale of the Exodus in the Diabolicon, Through the gates of hell we passed, and many of us had supposed hell to be a new heaven, wherein Lucifer would become as God. But this was not to be, for the scene before us promised neither ease nor bliss. Everywhere was there imbalance and confusion, for no law ordered the shape of hell. And Lucifer said, Lo, see that I am not God, and that we are each of us an isolate being. Here shall freedom be absolute, for hell itself shall reflect our several wills, never to be patterned apart from them. And in truth hell was not constant, for each of us conceived it differently. And the result was a riotous pandemonium, with substance and motion behaving in a most bewildering and perplexing manner. And in spite of our deep hurt from the Great War, for exodus is always a struggle and always deeply emotional, we succumb to merriment, so preposterous did our hell appear. Lucifer himself was transfixed with mirth and he said, it is apparent that we must reach concert upon the design of hell, else we shall perish in an endless labyrinth of our own several thoughts, an ignoble end to our experiment. In other words, voluntary collaboration is the system that replaces and in reality consistently outperforms any sort of rigid totalitarian power structure. He continues, And I answered, Lord of light to hell thou hast brought us. And in hell, though thou be not God, thy concepts shall be honored amongst our fellowship. For without thy gifts, we should never have become as we are. And of course, the sharing of the black flame with humanity is not long to follow perhaps the greatest imaginable reordering of the system and integration of a new tribal paradigm, establishing the heroic ascendance of the self-conscious individual over a sea of collective mechanicalism. It is this great possibility of the reordering of the system that fuels entrepreneurs and heroes of present-day not only to challenge the current system but move boldly beyond its constraints into realms of hitherto undreamed of innovation and inspiration. Thank you very much.